Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy. Today, I want to take you into trauma, biochemistry, and neurotransmitters. Often overlooked, but profoundly helpful to understand. I wish that more mental health professionals knew to recommend amino acids to support specific neurotransmitters. And this episode will help you know how to do just that. Our episode today answers the question, what to do about low serotonin and low GABA in trauma. To help us answer this question, I have a very special guest with me today, Trudy Scott. Trudy is a certified nutritionist, founder of the Anxiety Nutrition Institute, and the author of the Anti-Anxiety Food Solution. She's an expert when it comes to understanding the link between anxiety and food and nutrition. I have known Trudy now for several years, and we shared the stage when we gave our talks for a future of health at Mindshare, and her talk was amazing, and she shared how much of an introvert she is and some of the different techniques that she has used, some of the biochemistry that she has discovered is part of that social anxiety and what to do about it. I wanted to definitely invite her here because she has such a knowledge of the biochemistry, and when we look at anxiety, stress, trauma, PTSD, this is a huge area that we have so much potential to make a big difference. So in this episode, here is what you will learn serotonin and GABA levels in those with PTSD symptoms, the challenges of tapering off of mood medications, including rebound anxiety, but so much more, symptoms of low serotonin, symptoms of low GABA, and then what specific supplements to take for low serotonin levels, and what dosages to even start with for a trial of those supplements. Using neurotransmitter support for attachment disorder specifically, something called pyroluria, and then finally the big picture approach for neurotransmitters and finding the root cause. With that, welcome Trudy. Thank you so much for your time with us today, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today around neurotransmitters, biology, geeking out over some of the science and giving people some very effective tools to walk away with. Thanks for having me. And it was a pleasure sharing the stage with you. It was very exciting to have the opportunity to get up and share our expertise with other practitioners. And yes, there is so much that we can do in terms of biochemistry and balancing neurotransmitters and addressing neurotrans- nutritional deficiency so we can feel good. So mm-hmm. it's uh, really exciting to be able to share what we know and, and help so many people. Awesome. Now, one of the first things that I wanted to start off with is talking about low serotonin and low GABA, because both of those neurotransmitters are um, essential for the nervous system to be in a state where it is calm, regulated, and many people, even coming out of childhood, if they've had any kind of insecure attachment or even family dynamics where their nervous system was not regulated, maybe they had to be guessing the environment and what to do, how to behave in order to, to get their needs met, they're coming out of childhood with some of these low neurotransmitter levels. 
setting them up for stress. But then we also know that uh, traumatic experiences later in life can also impact these neurotransmitters. So I would love for you to even just be able to start with big picture, serotonin deficiency, GABA deficiency, what are people looking at and what do they need to know when it comes to those two neurotransmitters and PTSD? Let me just share some quotes from a paper because firstly, it's becoming more recognized that these neurotransmitters uh, do play a role when there's uh, trauma, post-traumatic stress. What's Mm -hmm. less recognized is that we can actually do something about it with using amino acids. And we'll go into which amino acids you use for low serotonin and which amino acid you would use for low GABA. And then there's something that we can actually do to get those levels up. So you're starting to feel better while you're dealing with the therapy or other methods to help Mm -hmm. with the trauma. So it's not one or the other. We want to be using everything that we can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I found a a paper that was published in 2020, which summarizes it very nicely. I'll just read the name of the paper here. Challenges of post-traumatic stress disorder in Iraq, biochemical network and methodologies, a brief review. And they're talking about the cortisol imbalances and the neuroendocrine imbalances. And what they, let me just read a few of the things that they, that they mentioned, because I think it's very pertinent to today's interview. Certainly they talk about this with PTSD, we've got dysfunctions in the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So, and they also mentioned the thyroid as well. So it's affecting all of our hormones, all of our neurotransmitters. Then they talk about the sympathetic uh, nervous system activity playing a role in PTSD by releasing norepinephrine and epinephrine, and then cortisol release from the adrenal cortex amplifies this. So we've got this high cortisol, people are in then this over-sympathetic drive. Mm-hmm. Then they mention women. Cortisol levels in PTSD patients, especially women, are later reduced because we've got this negative feedback mechanism. So initially we have high cortisol and then we it, it ends up being low. And they also talk about women being more uh, vulnerable to this. But then finally, they say serotonin, dopamine levels were found to be abnormal in the presence of of PTSD. We're seeing less research that talks about GABA, but certainly there was another paper that was published in 2021 that talked about plasma gamma aminobutyric acid levels in post-traumatic stress disorder. And they found, they, they say GABA, which is the brain's primary inhibitory neurotransmitter, in other words, it's the calming neurotransmitter, plays a key role in stress recovery. Now, the, the studies on GABA are a little bit mixed. Some of them say high GABA, some of them say it's low GABA, but we definitely know that there is this dysregulation of GABA. Um, and serotonin. And there's something we can do about it. That's the exciting thing. We know that, that there's this research talking about it. I will say that there is no research saying this is the amino acid that you use to raise serotonin levels if you have PTSD. And this is the amino acid you take to raise GABA levels if you have PTSD. We haven't got to that yet. We do see that clinically. We do see research on serotonin support and GABA support with other conditions. So I just want to put that out there. So some, in summary, we know from the research that these levels are low um, and we're still hoping to see more research to show this kind of support when it comes to trauma mm-hmm. and PTSD. And this makes so much sense because when you look at the nervous system and its role in the survival and a threat response, 
it definitely releases that adrenaline, first of all, and then the cortisol. And depending on whether a person's actually able to complete that threat response, the body, the nervous system may be stuck in sympathetic and then depleting your cortisol, depleting those neurotransmitters even further. So this makes sense that depending on whether it's an acute thing and whether it turns into something chronic will make a big difference about the neurotransmitter levels and the different abnormalities and imbalances that you're going to see in those. Absolutely. And you made a good point there is when you've got this high cortisol, that is going to affect the neurotransmitters as well. So you've got to address the cortisol and and there's various ways that we can do that, but that can have a downstream effect on other hormones and it can have a downstream effect on the neurotransmitters like serotonin and GABA as well, and then uh, dopamine as well. So yeah, it becomes this vicious cycle. I call it this sort of merry dance that we have going on, how everything's affecting everything else. Absolutely. And a lot of what I'm seeing clinically, of course, are people coming in and they've had these symptoms. They've had a lot of the people that I'm seeing have just had a hard life, right? There's, they have some specific events in their life that were more traumatic than others, but overall, like it's just been a really hard life for them. And they're having symptoms of these low neurotransmitters And they may have seen other providers who have used the tools that they know and started them on medications. And especially when it comes to anxiety symptoms and PTSD symptoms, they're looking at either starting them on an antidepressant in order to try to address those low serotonin symptoms, or they're starting them on a benzodiazepine to address really the GABA system. And yet what we know from these studies and from the the research papers is that these systems are that much more vulnerable to becoming dependent on those substances when they are used in that scenario, because you're not looking at the root cause and what's driving those neurotransmitters to be low. So it may provide an immediate relief and yet people are getting stuck on those medications and that's usually not the quality of life that they're looking for. And then they try to get off and their anxiety is even worse because it's those substances have actually driven those normal, natural levels of their neurotransmitters to be even lower. Yes. And then they end up in this terrible situation where they're trying to taper and they get rebound symptoms. Often they'll go into the doctor, they're feeling worse and they'll be told up your medication and they're getting, then they become, they need higher and higher doses and it gets worse. And then when they do try and taper, the symptoms often are very difficult and tapering Mm -hmm. for the SSRIs and the benzodiazepines we know now can sometimes take years for some people. There's certainly Mm -hmm. a subset of people that have a really difficult time tapering and Anytime someone is considering taping, they, tapering, they do need to work with their doctor. If I'm working with someone who wants to do that, I work in conjunction with their doctor so they can be monitored, but it does need to be done really slowly. And I actually had someone the other day say to me, I was put on a slow taper for my SRI, a two-week taper, and that was slow. I said, no, that's not slow. <laughs> that is and not slow. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, doctors who are prescribing these are not aware that mm-hmm. it needs to be really slow and it could be months, three months, four months, could be even a year. Some people take two years to taper. So I'm glad you brought up the medication aspect. And what I've seen is that there's many different kinds of symptoms that a person may experience when coming off of those medications. It's not just the mood symptoms. 
because those neurotransmitters act on every aspect of our physiology, our biology. So many people are even having digestive symptoms or muscles and tissues aching and or painful or stiff. Symptoms that they never would have related to the initial reason for starting that medication. But we know that serotonin is throughout the whole body and certainly more is in the gut than even in the brain. And with the benzodiazepines, obviously that's affecting the whole entire nervous system. And so it can be a really harsh reality when a person goes to taper off of those and sees, oh, wow, like this is how much it actually has been affecting my whole body, not just not just that one mood or symptom that I had started it for. Yes. And some people put on a benzodiazepine for pain. A client of mine was put on a benzo after a dental surgery and started to get anxiety as a result of being on the benzodiazepine. So sometimes you get these um, mood symptoms that you didn't even have before because of the benzodiazepine. So it's a problem. And then there are confounding factors. That the folks that I've found that have a harder time coming off the benzodiazepines are those that have used a fluoroquinolone antibiotic, maybe been on birth control, maybe also on an SSRI, been on antifungal medication and use and consume alcohol. And that's common to, and, and, and are an opioid. So if you've got that combination, it can make it more difficult to taper. So there's many variables that can play into this. Yeah. So using the the amino acids to get to the root mm-hmm. cause of that low serotonin or that low GABA makes the most sense and just so many different levels. And this is what will be the best in terms of uh, addressing those symptoms, even if they're not on a medication yet, or if they are on that medication to help them taper, because you really are supporting the bodies and the brain's natural ability to make more of those neurotransmitters. So let's start, Trudy, with talking about what would be the symptoms. How would a person know that they have low serotonin? And then how would a person know that they have low GABA? Because even though they have uh, similar results in terms of modulating mood, anxiety, depression, they do look different. So let's start there so that people even just have a general idea of that may be me and maybe I need to be looking at what amino acids can specifically support that system. Okay. So with low serotonin, it's more the mental anxiety. So the the worry, the fear, panic attacks. Now there is this overlap, as you say, with both low serotonin and low GABA, we will have obviously anxiety, but we'll also have insomnia. So that is common in both of them. And then if you have had some kind of trauma, you might have some specific symptoms that are more, that are related to the trauma. You might relive the trauma. You might ruminate about what happened. You might lie awake, imagining the worst. So often with the low serotonin insomnia, it's lying awake, uh, ruminating. And in the case, if you've had some sort of trauma, you might be imagining what could happen in the future. You you may have these recurrent um, distressing memories of the event. So it's all in the head and it's just, you can't switch the mind off. You may have those thoughts. (laughs) Yes, the fear that this trauma is going to happen again, hopeless, depressed, negative, suicidal. And then the other common symptoms that we see with low serotonin, regardless of whether you've 
been exposed to some kind of traumatic situation are PMS because it's affecting the sex hormones, irritability, anger issues, lashing out, cravings in the afternoon and the evening because serotonin takes Mm -hmm. a dip later in the day, and then low self-esteem, imposter syndrome. A lot of people relate to imposter syndrome, certainly the women that I work with saying, who am I to be doing this? Should I be getting on stage speaking about this? That would be an example of imposter syndrome, even when you're really qualified and experienced to do something like that. So these are all common low serotonin symptoms. And the way uh, we've figured it out with my clients is I've got a questionnaire and they will check off which of these symptoms they have and rate their symptoms on a scale of one to 10. And then we'll do a trial with the amino acid and see how we can shift these. And Mm -hmm. the amino acids are, are amazing they shift things really quickly. And I'll be happy to talk about which amino acids I use and how much and when we use them. But I want want to see if you wanted me to go through the GABA, low GABA symptoms first, Mm -hmm. and then we can come back to how we address both of them. Yeah, let's address GABA. And one thing with the serotonin that, as you're saying, all the different symptoms, it makes me remember that even in like obsessive compulsive disorder, that also has low serotonin activity. And so even though a person may not have gone into that level of obsession, just those ruminating thoughts where they just keep coming back to the same thought or the same fear and it's circulating and you're not able to get out of that cycle, that is definitely the the feature of that low serotonin. Yes. And that Mm -hmm. was one of the symptoms I left out, which was the obsessing or full-blown OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and -hmm. addressing low serotonin can help that as well to some extent. And then we sometimes use other nutrients as well, like inositol can really help as well, in Mm -hmm. addition to the tryptophan. So in this case, we're using tryptophan or 5-HTP to address the low serotonin. And then the low GABA is very different. That is also has the anxiety But it's, and there are sometimes intrusive thoughts with low GABA. There was a a paper that came out, I think about two years ago, where they found that GABA helped to reduce unwanted intrusive thoughts. And I'd always, I'd been taught initially when I started doing this work that it was more the low serotonin. And I was starting to get feedback from people saying GABA really helped. And I thought, could that really happen? And then we got this research coming out that was showing that we can see low GABA when people have these intrusive thoughts. But that's typically low serotonin, but it can be this overlap. But with the low GABA, it's this physical tension. You might see someone sitting with their shoulders hunched. They they can feel the tension going up through their neck and their head. They've got stiff and tense muscles. So it's more, more physical. And then symptoms specific to the trauma would be shaking maybe. So you've got this physical tension and you're shaking. Maybe when you're thinking about the traumatic event, when you're reliving some of those um, experiences. And then often with the low GABA, we self-medicate with alcohol. So just like with the low serotonin, we have these cravings. With any of the neurotransmitter deficiencies, we have this uh, need to self-medicate with something to feel Mm -hmm. better. It can be sugar with low GABA, but it's typically alcohol because alcohol tends to be relaxing. And certainly if you're in a social setting and you're feeling this low GABA physical tension, using that alcohol can make people feel a little bit calmer. But Well, the alcohol and marijuana do increase the GABA activity. So yeah, it makes sense that they would be reaching for those substances in order to just intuitively, right, increase their GABA activity that will help their nervous system feel better. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it can be anything. It's for some people, mm-hmm. it's alcohol. Someone else, it's marijuana. Someone else, it might be uh, street drugs. For someone, it might be chocolate. They might say, I've got to have that chocolate. It's my comfort. It's my reward. That Now, that tends to be an, a different neurotransmitter. That tends right. to be low endorphins when you have this sort of mm-hmm. comfort and this reward and my treat. And we'll often see that those neurotransmitters to be low when someone's had trauma as well, because it's a reward. It's absolutely. comforting. It's helping them feel good. So. It, it, yeah, but using the, the questionnaire rating symptoms and then doing a trial of the respective amino acids is what we're aiming for. And so going back to the low serotonin, when you have these symptoms, we do a trial of either tryptophan or 5-HTP, and both of these uh, help to raise uh, serotonin levels. I tend to start with tryptophan. It's just something that I do. You've got to start with one or the other. I'll start with tryptophan. We'll do a trial, and I'll have someone rate their symptoms on a scale of 1 to 10, and we'll do a trial there and then, either in the office or if I'm working over the phone with them, we'll do it there and then and get some immediate feedback. So the starting dose for tryptophan is 500 milligrams. And I'll we'll say, what, how are you feeling right now in terms of what's going, th- what's happening in your mind? How much are you reliving mm-hmm. this? Oh, it's terrible. It's a nine out of 10. And how are you feeling in terms of one of the other symptoms? Oh, I'm feeling very irritable right now. Just, just want to get out of here. That's a nine out of 10. Then we'll give them the tryptophan. And within three to five minutes, they should be able to say, oh, I'm, I'm not thinking about that anymore. Wow. It's mm-hmm. been months that I, this hasn't been in my mind. So there, and a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, there's no way it could work that quickly. And I usually say, if it sounds too good to be true, it's not true. In this case, it is. The amino mm-hmm. acids really work quickly. We, I have them open up the capsule. So it's, they use. I was going to ask you just that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm assuming and that you're opening the capsule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're getting mm-hmm. those results so quickly. And now we yep. know that their symptoms went from a nine out of 10 to maybe a seven out of 10. Maybe it went down to a two out of 10, then we know 500 milligrams the right dose. If it went down just a little bit, then they might start on a higher dose. And then over the course of the next few weeks, we're increasing that dose to try and figure out the ideal amount for that person. It's very different for each person. Someone may say, my symptoms are so severe, I definitely need a lot more. And And that's not the case. Some people can have very severe symptoms and need a small Mm -hmm. amount. Now, I said 500 milligrams is the starting dose, but for some people, they can do 100 milligrams and do really well. So it really Mm -hmm. depends on each person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that it depends on a combination of your genetics, of the other internal factors, whether you've got a lot of inflammation, whether you've got these other things going on that influence your body's ability to take that tryptophan and make it into the serotonin. Yep. And gut health, you mentioned gut earlier. Yep. So that's a factor. What's your diet like? So what's your zinc levels like? Your B6 levels, those all play into it. So very different. And then some people do better on 5-HTP. So if they don't do well on tryptophan, we switch to 5-HTP. And the time I would not start with 5-HTP is if someone does have high cortisol levels, because there is research showing that 5-HTP can raise cortisol levels. And if someone tries 5-HTP and they feel wired, more wired, that's a clue that we don't want to be doing the 5-HTP. Not the effect we're going for. Mm -hmm. No, definitely not. Now, when you open the capsule for 5-HTP, are you seeing results as fast as the tryptophan? I don't usually. I don't see as fast results. The tryptophan seems to have a faster onset of action. Is that what you're seeing as well? I would agree with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Awesome. So let's move into the GABA and what are some of the tools for GABA? And as you're um, pulling up that stuff, it makes me think of the first time that I really tried GABA. It was actually working with a 12-year-old girl with reactive attachment disorder. And she, we were doing some work. She got really triggered, high restlessness, agitation, gave her some sublingual GABA. And I was amazed at how well she responded to that. So that was the beginning of my introduction to, I really need to be using more of these amino acids, even in the moment, not just as routine and creating a better baseline, but even having them as tools in the moment can really be helpful. That's so interesting because I've mentioned that I wanted to share a story of reactive attachment disorder as well. And this was a young girl that I worked with and that when I it was also in my early days of using the amino acids, and I was using them a lot at the time, but that that one using it with this little girl, I used tryptophan. So I'll okay. share what I did with her with tryptophan. But it's it illustrates a good point. Some people are going to need GABA and are going to respond really well. Some are going to need tryptophan, and some need mm-hmm. both. Obviously, it's often right. very common that people need both. But this mm-hmm. was early days of working, and often I'd have the I tend to work mostly with women. They'd say to me, "It's working." I don't care how it's working. I don't care if it's a placebo. I don't care if it's working because I'm sitting here talking with you. And because it's, you can't actually believe that they can work this quickly. But when I worked with this little girl with the reactive attachment disorder, and she responded so well to the tryptophan, me convinced because she didn't know what she was taking. She was, she was uh, eight years old. She had, she actually had explosive rage and anger issue, Mm -hmm. which is one of the symptoms obviously of RAD and also low serotonin. It was so bad that her mom actually had to physically hold her down. And they came to see me and they didn't have a lot of money to spend. So I had to really try and figure out what are the two or three things that we can do. And she craved bread and sweet stuff. She had, she was fatigued. She wasn't sleeping well. She had these anger issues and anxiety. And when her mom came in, I was discussing with the mom how bad her symptoms were. And we started talking about having to give up the candies and she was sitting in a swivel chair and she swung her back turned around and had her back to me. She wasn't going to hear any of this. She wasn't giving up her bread or her candies. And I said, would would you be willing to try this tryptophan? And with children, I use a chewable tryptophan. It's 100 milligrams. It's a nice low dose. And she chewed the tryptophan. And within a few minutes, she turned around, uh, looked at both of us, smiled and said, yeah, I'll give up the candy. And she was smiling and she was happier. (laughs) And with her, it was the tryptophan. And then the Mm -hmm. other two big things with her was getting off gluten. And we know Mm -hmm. that gluten will damage the gut and that can lead to low serotonin levels and then low iron and gluten can do that as well. So Mm -hmm. we got more red meat in her diet. She got on an iron supplement and got off the gluten. And this was a different child. So they had done all the therapy work up front, but they hadn't Mm -hmm. addressed the biochemistry. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought up the GABA helped the little child that you worked with. And then the serotonin support helped this little girl. So Mm -hmm. it's a matter of getting to the root cause. Exactly. Yes. And I I should add that GABA was not enough to address all of her biochemical imbalances. We've done a lot of testing since then. And she uh, is a strong undermethylator, which can be common for some of those uh, extreme behaviors of the attachment disorder. So I do have her on 5-HTP now. She is also on the protocols that I have for being an undermethylator and supporting that system with that of low serotonin and low dopamine at baseline. So that 
just that, right? We'll, we'll hold her back with doing some of the therapeutic work and the connection work. So supporting them when they've got these low ser- uh, serotonin, the low dopamine, the low GABA, for actually helping them get better because otherwise you're fighting their biology, right? Yeah. And yeah, they may be able to get better, but it's just going to be so much harder on everybody. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned that because we're talking about low GABA, low serotonin, and they sound am- amazing. And a lot of times after I've done these interviews, people will contact me and say, oh, my, my child has this, I want to get them on GABA. And yes, that's great, but you've got to think about everything else as well. Exactly. This little girl that I worked with had to get off, had to change her diet as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got yep. to work on the underlying uh, dietary factors, low blood mm-hmm. sugar. We've got to work on toxins. Are they being exposed yep. to toxins? Have they got infections? So there's everything needs to come into it. But yeah. I like to start with the amino acids because they give that relief right away. And now we can now work on some of these other factors that are driving the low GABA and the low serotonin. Yeah. Things just become more manageable when you're, when you've got more serotonin, when you've got more GABA, the anxiety, the fatigue, the, the chronic symptoms of the trauma just are that much more manageable when you've supported the neurotransmitters. And then you can also then work on everything else. But when you see someone who has chronic PTSD or even some of these more severe extreme behaviors, you have to understand that it's never just going to be one thing. Trudy, like it to create that extreme of behaviors, to block the body in its natural ability to heal itself and to do well, there's a number of factors that come together to create that storm. And yeah, you're never going to be able to just throw GABA at it and we'll be fine. Throw some 5-HTP, but it's just this stepping back and, and understanding, hey, there's this big imbalance here. There's this big problem here. Let me take this piece first with the neurotransmitters, support that, because when I do that first, then everything else is more manageable to do that, but it's not the only piece. Yes. Really important. Mm -hmm. And the other thing it does is it gives hope. It makes, exactly gives the person that you're working with hope because now they're feeling a lot better. If you're working with a child, the mom suddenly has hope. Mm -hmm. So it's, they're amazing. They are amazing. Actually totally transformed my practice when I started using them. So um, it's so wonderful to uh, be talking to a doctor who's totally on board with all of this as well. It's a real pleasure. (laughs) I would love all of my clients to be working with someone like you because you understand the the medical side, the medication aspect, and the neurotransmitter and the amino acids. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't. They will, some of them will flat out say, no, you can't do this. Or they'll say, you can do what you want. It's not going to make a difference. Or yes, follow recommendations Mm -hmm. of the nutritionist and I'll Mm -hmm. monitor you. So you get very different feedback. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just share that because people listening will think all doctors are like you and are totally on board (laughs) with all of this. And that's not the case. I'm sure you've seen that as well. That is. And I've also had, this is my personal experience, right? So uh, this is how I even started in this field was having to taper myself off of both Zoloft and Wellbutrin. So that was a several month process of me learning how to use these amino acids in, in a way that was right for my body, but then being able to take that and then learn all this other stuff for everybody else's body since we all are very unique. 
Yes, and uh, being your own guinea pig is often very helpful. I fortunately have not had to do that. I've certainly used the amino acids myself, so I've come from that angle. I had my mm-hmm. own anxiety and panic attacks, and GABA was amazing for me. Tryptophan was amazing awesome. for me, and addressing the gut and gluten and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned this perfect storm earlier. I had this perfect storm of all of these factors. It's really refreshing to hear this coming from you and and you sharing this. Can I ask a question about your tapered with what other nutrients did you use that helped? I mm-hmm. find uh, melatonin often helps, niacinamide mm-hmm. often helps, and then of mm-hmm. course addressing low zinc, low GABA, lithium orotate sometimes helps. What did mm-hmm. you use while you were tapering that helped in addition to the amino acids? So I did take the approach that I needed to support all of those factors that are also involved in making more serotonin and more dopamine. And so I was taking B6, I was taking zinc, I was taking other mitochondrial support in general. I also did have a lot of gut inflammation at the time though. So I knew that was playing a role in my depleted serotonin. So I really had to address the food sensitivities. So that was part of the testing that I did at that time. I found food sensitivities to do that I had no idea that I was sensitive to those things. They weren't things that I was having any kind of an immediate reaction to. It was like roasted pumpkin seeds, roasted cashews, things that I was eating on a regular basis because I thought that those were healthy and yet contributing obviously to a lot of immune imbalances and inflammation in my gut. So there was that whole approach in terms of more of the amino acids, the 5-HTP, the theanine. I did some of the tryptophan at first, and then I found that the 5-HTP seemed to be a, a better a better fit for me. So I, I actually still use that. And that is still part of my nightly display of supplements that I'm taking. Magnesium was really important. So magnesium was really important to add in all of that. And I think that it was partly just because of the that my body had been under that had contributed probably to the low serotonin and low dopamine. Since then, I have found that I have uh, pyroluria. So that was also part of low serotonin activity. So I've needed to bring in more zinc for that, more of the antioxidants. So now it's become this big, very still strategic and very targeted interventional approach to understanding what are all the different factors that for my body create this tendency to go towards low serotonin and low dopamine if I am not mindful of supporting that system. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. And I think it's going to be very enlightening for folks to hear that we experience a lot of this too. I have paraloria myself. We were talking about that just before we started. And so we can relate to yep. the different issues that folks have, but picture might be very different. What caused it? For me, heavy metals was a big factor. I mm-hmm. had a mouthful of amalgams. I'd worked in a, a factory that had a lot of lead. That was a very big factor for me, but I also had gut issues. I had gluten issues. I had issues with soy. So we've Mm -hmm. got to just put those puzzle pieces together and figure out what it is. But the wonderful thing is we can use some of these nutrients to give us some relief right away while Mm -hmm. we're dealing with all of that, because it takes a while to unwind all of it. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're in the same situation as me. I'm still unwinding stuff. I discovered that that I had this latent Lyme infection that Mm -hmm. reared its ugly head a a few years ago. That was part of the picture that I didn't know about earlier on. So Mm -hmm. we've got to just put all the puzzle pieces together and address the issues when they come up. And it's exciting to think that we can get symptom resolution with this biochemical nutrient approach. 
Exactly. And and I was actually going to ask you to wrap up for us and then you just did, right? Like <laughs> this, this is the big picture of the biochemistry and there, there are so many pieces and we start somewhere, but understanding that there are many different factors that can go into these different levels of our neurotransmitters. When I was not always aware of this stuff, right? And I was having severe anxiety, severe depression, along with some other symptoms that I was in therapy for. And what finally actually triggered me to go into this biochemistry side of things was that I ran labs with my physician, with my regular physician, because of the chronic fatigue symptoms that I was having. And we discovered that I had low iron and really low vitamin D, neither one of which were getting better with supplementation and aggressive supplementation. And Trudy, for some reason, that just made a light bulb go off in my brain of, wait a second, why? Why is that? Why am I throwing all this vitamin D, all this iron, and my levels are not budging? And it was the first time that I really started to think of, there must be something else going on. And let me figure that out because otherwise I'm just going to be continuing to put a bandaid on things rather than actually addressing the root of the problem. This brings a wrap for this episode. Thank you for joining me. Today we looked at trauma, biochemistry, and neurotransmitters. The body does not naturally store trauma. It's not designed to do that. There are root causes that have caused the body to hold on. One's biochemistry can be part of the root problem. If you are one that also has a tendency to have low serotonin or low GABA, you are going to experience more trauma in your lifetime unless you are supporting your biology. The body will also hold on to trauma, trauma memory, trauma patterns, trauma responses more if we have low serotonin or low GABA. I am hoping that you have learned the value of amino acids in trauma. There are very few who would not benefit from amino acids, meaning if you are listening to this, you would likely benefit. If you are a professional, most of your patients or clients would greatly benefit and lastly, it's important to address the biochemical imbalances so that we're looking at what's driving the neurotransmitter imbalances, not just attempting to put a Band-Aid solution, even though we're using supplements, so that must be better than other Band-Aids. I will have the link to my guide to the three most common biochemical imbalances that I see in those with stored trauma in the body. I will have that in the show notes for you. I have a checklist of symptoms and personality traits for each of those imbalances so you can see if there is one that you identify with half or more of the items on that list. My team and I are also happy to review this with you if you would like to have a biology of trauma health coaching session, a one-on-one -on -one personalized 40-minute session to help you with your next best step for your trauma healing journey. And in this case, the biochemical imbalances and neurotransmitters. What resonated with you from this episode? I would love to hear about it. And on the webpage for this episode, you can drop your comments. Please also rate this podcast episode. It helps me know what you like, and it helps other people find this valuable information. Again, the three most common biochemical imbalances guide I will have in the show notes for you. And it explores the predictable biochemical imbalances that influence mood and trauma, and yet we can do so much about it. It's essential knowledge for anyone looking to understand the deeper biochemistry behind neurotransmitters and stored trauma in the body. 
I'm your host, Dr. Amy. Thank you for joining me on this episode. And until next time, sending you so much love. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey. And you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love. Oh, 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 oh